And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Howdy, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Our first playoff edition, joined as always, uh, making a quick pit stop at home before one of her many stops is AJ Maletsko. AJ, how are you? Oh, I am good, Arthur. Happy to, yeah, I get about 18 hours at home, get a little, you know, change of, of wardrobe, a visit with the dog and the kids and see see what I can get going and then back at it. That sounds like playoff hockey to me. So uh, <laughs> here we are uh, about to um, embark tonight on uh, game two of Islanders Penguins in Pittsburgh. Uh, you'll be in your in your home basement studio. Um, you were in the building for game one and uh, it was it was about as typical an Islander win as I think we've seen. We know what Barry Trotz's Islander way is all about. They don't always have to make them pretty. They don't always have to be dominating, but they do have to come away with either two points in the regular season or a win in the playoffs. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, you know, they really did embody a lot of those um, those phrases that we've heard Barry Trotz use. So they played the right way and they did the little things and all of these sort of catchphrases that a lot of coaches use. But Barry Trotz is certainly has some good ones for us. Um, and, and some of it was making sure that they were able to control the emotions of the game. They were certainly on their heels a little bit in the second period from what I remember. And then um, they, the pushback in the third period I thought was so impressive uh, and, and surprising, frankly, at that point, being in Pittsburgh, um, the Penguins have been feeling really good and coming on strong at the end of the season. So it looked like that was trending in that direction. And I thought that the, the Islanders came out um, and they did a lot of things like they owned towards in that third period push, they owned the neutral zone. Their gap control was really good. They took that space away, especially from Crosby's line, which I thought was impressive. Now Malkin is still considered a game time decision. So if he goes back in the lineup tonight, that of course changes things in terms of you know, the matchups and things that they're trying to do. Not that Barry gets the last line change, but uh, overall, I think it was very, I mean, fans have to be happy, but Barry Trotz has to be very pleased with his team's effort. Now, when you're down there uh, close to the ice and you look to, I I forget if it's to your left or your right, and you see uh, number 30 in white leading the Islanders out for warmups, probably a bit of a surprise to everybody. Not a a surprise to the Islanders since clearly Barry Trotz knew that uh, he was going to go with Sorokin from the night before. Um, but were you surprised? And then with the game that Ilya Sorokin had, was that a surprise to you? So it was a surprise so much so, and it was to my left, so much so that I wasn't looking. I actually wasn't <laughs> even watching. And I and my producer gets in my ear and says, uh, 30 and white. And I'm thinking to myself, what? What is he? What's he talking about? That's, that's not and, Semyon Varlamov. What is he yeah, talking? Yeah, exactly. So I, um, you know, usually I am looking and, and just sort of confirming. And uh, you know, obviously, I know that it, it's uh, Sorokin's had a phenomenal rookie year. There's no question about that. But to me, it's Varlamov's net. So for the playoffs, and Barry Trotz has shown that he does like to have a starter. Um, and so I think that. I really liked Sorokin's game. I thought that he was, I particularly liked the header in the, I think it was in the second period, had that big, big save off the header, I think. My my timing may be off because I've had a game since then. Um, But I thought that he moved well. He looked confident. Um, 
I think that there are certain things like the Crosby goal. Give me a break. That's that's just crazy town. What 87 did on that goal uh, with with Andy Green covering him. Um, so I, I like Sorokin the way he played. I think that it's still Varlamov's net. And as Barry Trotz told you and I on the media zoom, zoom a couple hours ago, there will be a Russian goaltender in net tonight. So uh, so we know that. So that's clear. Yeah, I thought uh, I, I was certainly surprised and and we are covering teams in the Zoom era. And maybe if we were not in the Zoom era, we might have been able to, to kind of sniff it out beforehand. But, um, you know, yeah, he, he looked really confident. And I really thought, you know, there were probably two saves that stood out, uh, that, that, that skate save on Crosby at the end of that very dominating Pittsburgh power play in the first period. And then um, while the game was still tied early in the second before Crosby's ridiculous goal, uh, he stopped uh, Teddy Bluger on a on a wraparound try where he stretched out completely with the right leg and, and got didn't get it with a toe, but kind of got it in the middle of the pad, which is almost to me more impressive that he had his whole leg pressed to the ice to be able to keep that from going under him. And I think when you see him playing like that, and we've seen uh, Sorokin have some great moments this year, we've seen him also give up you know a soft goal for a while there. It was every game, and I think by the end was maybe every other game. And there were no soft ones that he gave up. Uh, in game one. So if he gets the net again tonight, uh, he's earned it in my opinion. And I'm sure for you too. Yeah. Oh, I mean, either of those guys that go, the team's going to feel confident. They're ready to go. I don't think it's going to affect them one way or another. I really truly don't. And I don't think that's always true. Um, I still think that he's going to need Varlamov down the road. So even if he wants to all, you know, to rotate them, I think that if Varlamov is good to go, he'll play him. But there is that whole old adage of um, play the hot goalie, right? So, um, so it is an interesting conundrum. It's a good problem for somebody like Barry Trotz to have. Um, I, I do think that the way that he played his athleticism, you know, we've seen him all season go post to post. That's one of his strengths is on those wraparound tries or from the pucks from behind the net, the way that he's able to, he's very limber, but he's clearly very athletic. Um, so I did, you know, I, I, again, we, I was surprised. I just thought that that's the direction he was going to go, but you look at the goaltending we've had so far in the playoffs. I mean, how about Mark Andre Fleury the other night, what a clinic he put on. Obviously he was on the losing end in overtime, but I thought he was unreal in that game. And then the game that I covered last night with Carolina, you had another rookie goaltender, Nadelkovic, who actually is tied with Sorokin for um, rookie shutouts this year. They both have three. Uh, and he looked jumpy to me. Again, he got the win, but he looked um, he looked nervous. And they also had a, had a ton of loud fans. So it's the first time he's played in front of fans of the NHL, first playoff game. Um, but it, it sort of highlighted to me how impressive Sorokin was. Yeah. The fact that he went in there, he looked like he had ice in his veins, did not look like it was his first playoff game. And there were fans in, in Pittsburgh and they were loud. So I was, it, it, I don't, I appreciate it at the time, but seeing all these other, you know, the veterans do well. And then this other rookie goaltender uh, in Carolina, it just, it reminded me what an impressive effort it was. Yeah. And, and I guess uh, moving on out from the net, uh, maybe the two most impressive players in the ice for the Islanders all that game figured prominently in the OT winner, Jean-Gabriel Pajot at three points, including uh, that big goal early in the third. And Kyle Palmieri, who um, continues to uh, make Lou Lamarillo look like a genius uh, in his <laughs> deadline acquisitions. Last year, it was Pajot who scored the first goal of the, the summer bubble and I think had eight uh, in that playoff run. And now Palmieri, didn't look, uh, you know, didn't look that great. I think in his 17 games uh, after the, the the Islanders acquired him, um, but he looked like a guy that was ready ready to go. Uh, scored the first goal and then the last goal. It was uh, it was an impressive performance and uh, and just kind of that you know it's been a, six weeks since they made that deal, 
But uh, I think that was the time that they really wanted it to pay off. Well, interesting, right? We look back at Pajot a year ago, and he gets traded. He has a goal in his first game. He fights Truba, the Rangers game. Um, so, you know, he has a big splash when he comes in. But the, the Islanders don't win with him in the lineup during the entire regular season and the, from the t- trade deadline on. Then they go, and he's got that huge run in the playoffs. So it's interesting. Maybe it was the break. Maybe it was the mini camp. Just didn't know what was going to happen with Paul Mary. Um, of course, Zajac was a healthy scratch. But you take Palmieri and he is, you know, he's slow to warm up. He has two goals in the 17 games and sort of just not sure exactly what, how this was going to pan out looking at what Lou was, what he was thinking and what his expectations were, right? When Taylor Hall was on the market and all these other things that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. And he does look like a mastermind when he pulls somebody like that and knows that it's going to take a couple of weeks to get up to speed. And we listened to Barry Trotz over the last couple of days say, you know what, Palmieri's playing the right way. He's working hard. He's going into the corners. He plays a heavy game. All these things. He said, I'm not worried about the offense. The offense will come if he continues to play the right way. And boom, game one of the playoffs. And he scores two goals, including the overtime game winner. So, you know, I think that it, he's a great fit. But um, absolutely to your point, J.G. Pajot was the best player for the Islanders. There's no question about it. He was so good in all ends of the ice, and you could see him jump out, take critical face-offs. Um, he was playing all situations. He was hustling. I know he scored that goal. You know, it was interesting. You see those goals, all scored glove side from outside. Tristan Jari had to have been upset by some of those. But regardless, they get those goals, um, and one of them from Pajot, and then he sets up the winner. I, I really like the way he played. Um, I think that, you know, the expectation was maybe that Wallstrom was going to be an X factor difference maker. And there's, there's obviously plenty of time left for him to live up to that role, but I thought he did a good job too, of just doing what he was supposed to do, get shots when he could. And I thought that line, I thought the middle six were the strength. I thought that, um, you know, obviously Brock had the goal. I thought Bo set him up and Bo had some chances, um, but the other player that w- went really under the radar, but subtly had a really good game. And I, we're going to actually talk about it in the pregame tonight was Josh Bailey. And, you know, he was getting a little physical in the corners and he was doing a lot of good, subtle plays, little stick plays, little touch passes, um, just little back checks, things like that, that to me certainly go unnoticed unless you're looking for it. And that's the sort of thing that a team needs down the stretch. They obviously need goal scoring, they need goaltending, but they've got to have all of those little plays too. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, there was a lot to like in game one. Um, Game two coming up, I think the thing that the Islanders would like to see the most is Tristan Jari give up a couple more unscreened 30-footers. The Penguins don't have any options in that. I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, 
judging by uh, the people that were on on hand in Pittsburgh for the morning skate, it sounds like Ilya Sorokin will get the start again tonight. But if he doesn't, obviously Semyon Varlamov is a perfectly capable option. The Penguins have no options. They have Jari. Casey DeSmith is out injured. They have Maxim Lagasse, who I think has played two games in the last three years. Um, given that situation, you know, this Pittsburgh team that has won a lot. They have a lot of veteran guys. Um, you know, I, I go back to uh, some conversations that we've had on this show uh, in previous years and just in, in general with Steve Valiquette, who charts a lot of these things about goalies and high danger and low danger chances that, you know, he doesn't have the exact numbers, but when a, a goalie gives up a low danger chance for a goal, it just breaks everybody down on that team. And it certainly lifts the other team. And Jari gave up two of those, at least. I, mean, I don't even know how you'd classify some of the other ones, but Palmieri's was low danger. And Pajot's nice shot, though it was, was really low danger. So when you're going into another game, uh, with a goalie that you may not have the most confidence in if you're Pittsburgh, um, do the Islanders just have to jump on that tonight and really make sure that this guy's confidence level is stays shaky? Yeah, you know, it's it's a really interesting question because uh, if you just fire a ton of shots on the guy and then he starts feeling a lot of pucks and he starts saving them, then you could also build his confidence if you're sending right. these low-danger shots on him. But I do think that um, you know, I, I do think that they need to get shots on him and they certainly need to test his glove early because it, it, that's, it was glove side. And even Brock's goal, uh, was a little more screened, but it, it was still from outside. So, uh, I would say the overtime goal was, there was about two inches of daylight that Palmieri found. So I don't think we can put that one on Jari. Um, but I think that it is, um, it is one of those things that, um, if I'm, if I'm Pittsburgh, then we come in, you come in and you do sort of play a little bit differently and you play, you, you have to protect the middle and you've got to make sure that you're clearing out and you're keeping pucks to the outside. And that changes the way that you approach the game. And that to me is what the Islanders can capitalize. And that's what they can expose is that if they are able to put them on their heels and if they're just throwing pucks away out of danger zone, then that's what I think the Islanders, they can create um, some real high danger chances on that. But uh, you know what? You're absolutely right. Jari has, they have no tr- chances. How does he rebound? That's a huge question mark for the Pittsburgh Penguins. For the Islanders, we talked about the guys that we thought did played very well. And there were some other guys we didn't mention that uh, were perfectly fine. And there's not going to be any changes to this, uh, to the 18 skaters for Barry Trotz. Um, do we need to see more from Matthew Barzal and Jordan Eberle? Uh, you know, I, I think, in looking back at that first game uh, on first blush, you say, wow, Leo Komarov played a really good game, which he did. 14 hits, which is not always the best indicator of being a guy that's, um, you know, doing the things that you want to be doing, like having the puck and creating chances. Sometimes you're throwing hits because you don't have pucks and are not creating chances. But Leo was really good. Uh, but you don't want him to be the best guy on that line. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess the, the beginning part of that game – Barzal was a little bit invisible, and then he started to show up a little bit more in the third and overtime, but uh, but I think we need to see a little bit more from him consistently from puck drop. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You take somebody like Matt Barzal, and he loves the big games, right? He loves to rise to the occasion, uh, and so I do expect that we will see a big game from him at some point. Um, I think that it's challenging for somebody, any of those guys that have become the face of a franchise, in that 
he's he's not a hidden gem. He's not somebody that is going to take anybody by storm. Um, you know who he is and you know what you need to do, right? He's, and even if you double team him, there are times that he's still going to burn by you just with his speed, his edge work and his deception and the way that he reads the game. With that said, you look on the other side and you have Sidney Crosby, who has been the face of the league and one of the best players for years and years and years. And he, if you watch him and I did, I watched him a couple shifts, just isolated on him. He is being harassed everywhere on the ice. And that's why you have to play him, right? I mean, you have Matt Martin going at him. You, I mean, all these guys, Mayfield was going at him. And sometimes it was right in front of me as he was going to change. They're harassing him and nothing illegal, but just all over him. And sometimes they're double teaming him. And yet he's still able to figure out a way to score that goal, to be a difference maker. And it's not just scoring goals for him, right? He is truly a 200 foot player and, and a perennial selkie favorite. And I know Islanders fans don't want to hear me wax poetic about Sidney Crosby, but I do think that when you look at that and how he's evolved in in his role, that's something that Matt Barzell will need to do also. He's got to be able to take the hits and take the attention and the double teaming and maybe create space for Jordan Eberle. And maybe that's how he he makes a difference, right? He's out there and he's he loves to have the puck on his stick, right? Draw a double team, maybe a triple team, and then dish it to space. And, you know, and somebody like Leo Komarov is a good compliment because he can go in like a bull in a china shop and wreak, wreak havoc. And then you got Jordan Everly, who has does have a beautiful finishing touch most of the times. And, and if I remember correctly, two years ago in that four-game sweep, Everly factored in big time on the score sheet. So we know he's got it in him. So, yes, I think that in big games, you need your big players. I, I love the way the middle six played. Um, but I think that, that that top line with Matt Barzell, they've got to show up. Um, they can't sustain it without them showing up. Um, but I would also argue that the fourth line, they were they were good, but they weren't standout like they usually are, right? And if they want to make a deep run, they've got to have all four lines contributing and all four lines playing their role. Their roles are not all the same, but they need to make sure that they're all out there and they're all uh, a part of this well-oiled machine that Barry Trotz has going. Yeah, and I and I think the only you know I'd asked Barry today, um, you know, Brock Nelson scores that goal to make it three two with about four minutes and change left in the third period. The Islanders are ready to lock it down, and right on the next shift, he makes a decision to to keep Noah Dobson on the bench for his rotation. It's it's Andy Green and Scott Mayfield. The Penguins come down. Communication didn't look like it was great between Green and Mayfield. Green kind of went wide with Jeff Carter. Uh, Scott Mayfield didn't know whether to, to step up on, on Kasperi Kapanen and gave him a little bit of room to walk in and then kind of provided a little bit of a screen on, on a very good shot to tie it. Um, and those are adjustments that, that Barry Trotz makes a lot. You'll see it, you know, with the forward lines where, where J.G. Pajot replaces Matt Martin on that fourth line for latent periods and latent games for faceoffs. He takes Noah Dobson out of the rotation, mix and match some of the D. Um but, you know, I, I do kind of wonder when you go out of your D rotation that late in a game where everybody's been in rhythm and everybody's been going and going and going, it, you only notice it when it goes bad and it went bad. So uh, I guess my question to you is, and this is Noah Dobson's second year, played a full season, Barry likes what he's doing. Do you keep him out there for that that late shift or do you kind of, you know, go with your instinct, which is we've got more veteran defensive guys to to put out there to preserve this lead? Well, interesting, right? Because he does that. And then in overtime, Dobson got a regular shift. Right. So, you know, that was, and so whether that's Barry Trotz sort of evolving through too and trying to figure it out um, as he goes, it, it also, go, you know, back to the beginning of the season, you and I talked on this podcast a lot about the long leash and the trust that veteran players have built 
with a coach like Barry Trotz, right? And Leo Komarov was the object of a lot of that discussion. Um, and this is Dobson's second year, so he's still building that trust. And I think perhaps he did build some trust in the way that he played in that game. Um, you know, he doesn't. He only has a couple games postseason experience. He went in in the bubble last year when Boychuk went down. Um, so I think that it's he's still the postseason is a different animal, and every coach will tell you that you start fresh at the beginning of the postseason. I mean, even it actually sort of frustrates me. You don't even really count games when you're looking at people's a thousand games. It's always regular season or their points. It's regular season. So it's a little, sometimes it's a little confusing. Um, but I think for somebody like Noah Dobson, I like the way he's playing. I like the way that he's using his reach and his, you know, he's got, he's got range to him and he uses that stick pretty well. Um, so if I'm the coach in that situation, I mean, it's easy to second guess right now. Yeah, of course I leave him out there because <laughs> the other two got scored on. Uh, but I also understood what Barry Trotz was doing. And Scott Mayfield has gotten slowly better through this year. He had a rough start and, and sort of a rough middle patch. Um, but I really think that Scott Mayfield has been playing, playing really well. And, and Andy Green, he's got a, a tremendous amount of respect and trust for. And, you know, it's Andy Green who's covering Crosby with that goal. But does he need to get his stick? Of course he does. You're you're covering 87. But really, if you look at it, what are the chances that happens? <laughs> There's maybe two other guys in the history of the NHL that can score that goal. So I don't know if I put that one entirely on green. I don't know if you watch it. Tara Vine and score. I did see one of them. As- <laughs> maybe, all right. So three. I'll go with three instead. <laughs> but, it, you know, so so to, back to the original question, Dobson. I think Dobson will get more and more ice time as he goes because I I think that what was impressive is he loses that shift. Then he goes on the overtime and he plays great because sometimes losing a shift like that will rattle a young guy and rattle his confidence. And it didn't seem to. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So uh, of the two of us here, AJ, only one of us got to be in their usual spot for game one, which was between the benches. And I believe that was the first time you've gotten to do that in, boy, uh, it's probably been a long time that you were since you were between the benches for for a broadcast what uh what was that like just to be back down in that spot where you you're you know you're able to pick up so many different things that i think the average fan doesn't really hear or notice and uh and just yeah what was what was the experience like to be back there so i actually to, at the end of april i was at a game between the benches in tampa it was a um, tampa columbus game so full disclosure it was with brendan dom moore so i was there for that game um, and then this one, it still feels fresh again. I mean, obviously I've been very comfortable down there in years past, both with Islander, with MSG broadcast and with NBC, I've been down there. It's very different now because we're glassed in. So 
it, it, we literally are in a little mime box down there and um, it's, it's very strange. Um, and for me, where I was down there, they have a setback from the boards, both the stanchions, the corners of my glass box are protected with huge pads. So I actually couldn't see much of the slot area on either side, which was frustrating. Um, and it's for safety. So I'm not complaining. I mean, I'm complaining, but I understand why they were there. Um, so I was, that was a little weird, but I, the good part is through COVID, I've gotten very accustomed to watching games on a monitor and I did have a monitor in my little in between the benches spot, but it was fantastic to be down there. And in that building, the crowd was great, obviously not full. Um, and tonight will be more, I think they're going to have much more people, a lot more people in the stands tonight because the restrictions lifted even more yesterday. Um, But it was great. I got to see some of the guys firsthand. I haven't yet, even when I've been in the Coliseum, um, you know, interviewing the guys on there at the other end of the bench, I'm between the benches. So we're in the two box, but uh, you know, Pajot was down there and then Paul Mary at the end of the game. And so I got to sort of smile and wave at them and Kimber Auerbach, who does such a good job setting us up um, with all those interview requests. So I think it was, we couldn't really, I couldn't really hear from the bench just because based on the glass that I was inside. Um, But being down there, seeing the body language, like I said, seeing some of the tussling around the way that they play Sidney Crosby or the way that they are on the bench, the way that, you know, when there's a high stick to see if they're checking to see if the, what the, the blood situation there or how they communicate, how they use the iPads, all that stuff that I, I got sort of took for granted pre COVID. Um, so it was nice. Now I did, I had some audio issues, which that's another COVID situation. We usually have an audio person to help us. And with mm-hmm. COVID they, we can't. So uh, there were stretches of that game where I actually was not able to hear Brendan and Jonesy, which is challenging. So, um, you know, I think with all that said, the greatest part about COVID is there is a general appreciation for things and don't get caught up on on little technical snafus, which there were fantastic people in the truck that helped rectify them pretty quickly. Um, But, you know, so I I think being there, being in person, I'm really, you know, I won't be there tonight, uh, but I'll be back in the Coliseum on Thursday night. So it's, we're getting there. We're getting closer. Um, Raleigh and Nashville will have 12,000 fans in attendance for that series. So I, I think that there's, there's just, there's, there's hope right now that we're moving in the right direction. And as far as a broadcast is concerned, it's so much more fun to call it live than off of a monitor. Yeah. And you did, uh, you know, you did that first game in the Carolina Nashville last night off, off the monitor, you know, in the studio here in, in Stamper, the NBC studios. And uh, yeah, I, it just must be, you know, I was watching some of these playoff games and these are teams that, you know, I'm pretty, you know, we're pretty familiar with from my many years of covering the NHL. And I'm still, you know, we were talking about it before we went on the air. There's guys on the, in the Nashville lineup. And I'm like, man, I I have no idea who that guy is. Um, What has that been like? You know, the playoffs obviously is a time, you know, for broadcasters when you've got to study up regardless, because you don't know who you're going to be seeing from night to, you know, almost from night to night. But um you know, that, that whiplash situation, is it, is it feel even more so because we've all been so sort of segregated in the, in, in the divisions, you know, playing all the games in the division this year? It does. Now through the season, I've done some games with NBC. So I have seen, I've done a couple Nashville games. I, I will, before last night, I hadn't done any Carolina games, um, but I've done some Western conference games. So I've, I've sort of dabbled in it um, throughout the season. So I've seen, different conferences. I actually have not done any games up North. Um, but I, I do, it, it is interesting to go from being in the arena to back to calling it on the monitor. I've gotten very used to it, 
But when we call it off a monitor, we're also using the home feed. So what that means, it's in Raleigh last night, the Carolina's home broadcast, their regional broadcast is feeding the pictures to us in Stanford. So I don't have control over what's coming up next. Mm-hmm. Now we have one camera, so I, we have a phenomenal crew and the producer can try to get me. If I want to talk about somebody, then he can get me a, a headshot, you know, an isolation of that person. Uh, but when I'm on site, we can ask for replays. We have control of the cameras when it's a, when it's a, um, exclusive NBC game. So it is a little different, um, all of that stuff, but being there right now, I got to call both games so far. And again, to, you know, with uh, Brendan Burke that Islanders fans are thrilled to hear him. So I get about seven or eight days in a row of, of full-time Brendan Burke. So it's, <laughs> it's been fun. We get, we get back and forth to East to central, um, and lots of travel in between, but it's, it's a different, it's a different world. I'm really looking forward to being back on site. I hope I'm very hopeful and optimistic that we will get to be back on site for the most part. I know that it's challenging in COVID times. And I also know that from a financial and economic perspective, it may make sense to not put everybody back on the road full time. But I just, I, I personally, I think it makes the broadcast so much better. Um, and for you guys too, I mean, print media, I've seen the game in person with your own eyes, I think makes, it makes a huge difference. You can formulate your own opinions uh, and you get a feel for what's going on. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to be back. Uh, you know, not traveling this series, but who knows what's going to happen if the Islanders advance. Um, but yeah, and I think uh, another question that I I get even for myself, not a broadcaster, so my my opinions tend to stay very, uh, at least I hope, stay fairly unbiased. The team that I cover and I've covered for a long time, but Islander fans associate you with the Islanders, and here they are seeing you co- calling an Islander game on NBC with Brendan, also the Islanders play by play man. Um, and you're, you got to play it straight. Um, and I think a lot of fans, because they're fans, God love them. That would be impossible for most of them. How hard is that for you to, to remind yourself that you are not on an Islander centric broadcast? Uh, it's actually not as hard for me only because I tend to be more, uh, my job is to analyze what's going on. So even if I'm on an Islanders broadcast, yes, if there's a goal scored against the Islanders, I will look at what happened to the breakdown as opposed to maybe what the other team did offensively that was good. Um, but it's it's interesting, uh, based on Twitter, people there were a lot of people that thought we were two pro Penguins. And I did you know, see that. I, I saw that. You see that a lot of people that were thought we were the you know a, a, which is which I don't know if those were Islanders fans that just were upset that we weren't pro Islanders. Um, and that, you know, but, but I actually, I got it the other way too. And so I, I perversely sort of, uh, um, take that as I did a good job. If I get both sides coming at me that I, a homer. <laughs> exactly right. um, and I did, and last night too, I got almost simultaneously, I got two random tweets that said, I thought I would, this was the national broadcast. How come I got the Carolina broadcast and somebody else that says, why do you love that national predator so much? I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, and it just depends on what, and every analyst is different. So it depends what you look at. Right. And there was a beautiful Eric Stahl goal last night, for example, that was a, an incredible goal. So I could sit there and pick apart Nashville, but it was also just a really good individual effort by a Carolina Hurricanes. Did I say Eric Stahl? Jer- Jordan Stahl. I called him Eric Stahl that's, last night too, and I had to correct myself. <laughs> so I apologize. I keep doing it. Now it's in my head and I'm doing it so much, but both Stahl brothers were captain of the Carolina Hurricanes. So I think I'm forgiven a little bit, uh, but you know, I think when you're looking at the Islanders and um, you know, it just, we were just talking about Sidney Crosby and I get it. People don't want to hear about the stars on the other team, but that's my job when I, when Brendan and I are doing national broadcasts is we have to look at both sides and we have to look at what 
uh, what both teams are doing and what some of the trends are. And, you know, the, the Penguins, for example, Mike Sullivan didn't like that his team wasn't getting the puck in deep. They're getting it over the red line, but they weren't able to get it in deep. But honestly, the way I looked at that was I thought the Islanders did a really good job of standing them up at their defensive blue line. Their gap was good. They stepped up, they broke up plays and didn't and prevented them from entering the zone. So again, there's just two different ways to look at it. And as a national broadcaster, I can feel sometimes I'll say things like, oh, this is what the Islanders need to do. And I think, okay, pretty soon I got to say, well, this is what the Penguins need to do just to make sure I am keeping it right in the middle. Well, yes, as you pointed out, uh, if everybody hates what you're doing, you're probably doing it right. So. <laughs> Welcome to our job, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Well, as always, thank you, AJ, and uh, enjoy the, the next uh, few hours you have of solitude at home or at least respite at home before you uh, head back out. I am looking forward to tonight's game. I'll wire up and, and get going with all the Islanders fans watching and hoping they get to pull out, uh, pull out game two tonight. That's right. This will be an Islanders broadcast that AJ is on, so <laughs> no chirping her online. It's going to be all Islanders. Uh, all Islanders. That's exactly. Right. So we'll see uh, everybody tuning in for Game 2. Uh, we're going to have some more fun stuff as the playoff series unfolds before we get to our usual time next week. So, as always, thanks for listening. And just remember, if you listen on your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review can really help us out and if you want to subscribe to the athletic go to theathletic.com slash no sleep till belmont to check out our latest deals thanks everybody enjoy the playoffs